Mr. Cohen, any final words? Yes, Your Honor. Look, maybe I'm not a good person. Maybe I'm a liar. Maybe I'm a fool. Maybe I've ruined hundreds of people's lives. I'm, I'm sorry, is, is there a butt coming? No, there isn't. Thank you. Welcome to the Saturday Night Live After Party. This week we'll be discussing Season 44, Episode 14 of SNL with host John Mulaney and musical guest Thomas Rhett. I'm John Murray, and with me as always is comedy aficionado and all-around swell dude, Steve Finn. And we're also joined this week by Andrew Dick of rival podcast That Week in SNL. You can connect with Andy on Twitter at That Week in SNL. And if you'd like to connect with Steve or myself, you can do so at snlpodcast.com. If you're enjoying our show, please consider supporting us on Patreon. Our patrons get early, ad-free access to each new podcast episode, as well as many other exclusive member rewards. It's your support that makes the cast possible, and we are so thankful to everyone who's already pitched in. To learn more, go to patreon.com forward slash SNL podcast. All right. Enjoy. Ladies and gentlemen, John Mulaney. Well, welcome back, Andy. It's good to see you. Hey, thanks for having me back. Yeah, we had a fun time last time, so it seemed fitting that we'd want to get you back up sooner than later, and uh, I know that you are familiar with Mulaney's work. It seems like you probably have plenty that you can offer to our discussion tonight, so I'm looking forward to jumping in. But before we jump into that, why don't you just remind our audience where they can find your cast and kind of what your angle is when it comes to SNL podcasting. Yeah, so my show is That Week in SNL. I, I run it with my buddy Tim Chicali, and uh, sort of what sets our show apart is uh, we, we review older episodes, mm-hmm. like from all 45 years of the show. Uh, we just kind of randomly bounce around, uh, explore the episode, sort of like like you do on SNL After Party, but kind of joke around a little bit more, uh, go on tangents, and if it seems maybe a bit daunting to listen to a show uh, about unseen 30-year-old episodes of <laughs> SNL. We we do uh, also include clips from the show, so to give it a little bit more context. Hmm. And it's fun. Yeah. <laughs> you should check it out. Yeah. Most recently, you dropped an episode, the Bruce Dern one from 1983, which was where they kicked off the whole uh, Buckwheat gets shot thing that they did. So yeah, uh, your dissection of that and... Uh, how the racial perspective of the show back then oh. doesn't really line up <laughs> with uh, kind of what we would expect to see on SNL today. Old Chinaman beer is one yes. of the most fraught things <laughs> I've ever seen the show do. It, it's incredible. It was an enjoyable listen. It feels like a time capsule in a way. I know that I haven't personally seen that episode in probably 15, 20 years. So yeah, it's, it's uh, if you're a, a hardcore SNL nerd, it, it really is great to be able to jump back and pick apart an episode anew. Um, so yeah, people should check it out. Find you on Twitter at that week in SNL mm-hmm. and all the usual places you can find podcasts. We're on there. Excellent. Okay. So we're going to dispense with any news or feedback because we're probably gonna have a lot to say. We do have Steve on board as well, even though we haven't really heard from him yet. Are you with us, Steve? Yeah. Oh yes. I'm back here. Hi. Hi, Steve. I'll be around when you need me. If you have any questions. Very good. So, uh, why don't we just, uh, get right into it? You guys ready? Sure. Let's do it. Okay. So for our cold open, C-SPAN's coverage of Michael Cohen's sworn testimony before the Congressional Oversight Committee. We get Ben Stiller back as Michael Cohen, obviously, but we also get Bill Hader as Republican Congressman Jordan. What'd you make of this one? Did this kick off the show right, Andy? So yeah, this one I was looking forward to because it's one of the few cold opens where I actually had some level of context to what they were riffing on Mm -hmm. uh, with the Michael Cohen testimony because I actually watched a bit of it uh, with my co-host, Tim Jacali, and, you know, we were joking on it and kind of theorizing what we would have done if we were SNL writers to uh, poke fun at this. Mm-hmm. And I don't think either of us landed on let Bill Hader carry the sketch. <laughs> sure. And it, it was a decent way to get the show started. I don't think I've ever really liked Ben Stiller's Michael Cohen. I, I just don't think there's much of a character there mm-hmm. so that always kind of comes off as a 
something a little bland. Okay. But uh, yeah, Bill Hader definitely starts the show off with with plenty of energy. Yeah, yeah, he did bring a little bit more life to this than we would have probably seen otherwise. So yeah, I was happy to see him when they have the big wide opening shot and they're coming in close on Keenan. Bill Hader is keeping his head down because he doesn't right. want to blow the reveal. But yeah, it was obvious just from yeah. his eyebrows. Yeah, I saw. Makes him. sense. Mulaney's hosting. Hater's in the house. You know, he pops up a couple times tonight. So uh, yeah, that was certainly a good call. You know, if you have them on hand and your cold opens, especially the politically oriented ones, tend to uh, be a little lackluster. Why not use what you got? What do you think, Steve? How'd you feel about the cold open? I was enjoying it. Mm-hmm. I don't think it was a a, a risky prediction. To guess that we would be seeing Ben Stiller right after the uh, Cohen testimony. So while no one's surprised to see it, I think they uh, took that event and made something very astutely uh, funny. Mm-hmm. And they picked up on some subtleties that I can retroactively say I noticed, but uh, they pulled comedy out of it in ways that I never even thought. <laughs> Like Natalie and Brulia references. Yes, <laughs> that wasn't lost on me. I appreciated that. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> like going back, I didn't notice Michael Cohen trying to scan the panel and, and try to figure out who was speaking. Right. Uh, the fact that they called attention to that for jokes was uh, pretty astute. But I got to give a special props to Kyle because I thought his performance <laughs> mm-hmm. was pitch perfect. Yes. This gave Vanessa Bayer a run for her money for, <laughs> uh, for awkward, rushed you know, anxious speech. Oh, and boy, that was probably my favorite moment of it all. But yes. overall, I thought it was great stuff. Very competent mush mouthing. Uh, I thought that was noteworthy as well. So I'm glad you called attention to it. Uh, for my money, I'm, I'm going to give this a, a marginal win. I never find the political stuff usually exceptionally funny, you know, cause it really is. We're, you know, we're, we're goofing on just what we watched on TV this past week and calling attention to things. It's not, it, it's not usually the smartest conceptual comedy it's pretty Mm. pretty straightforward that way so i'm not going to give it high marks but like you guys mentioned bill Hader brought a lot of fun energy to it it was nice to see him get uh you know more and more worked up as he realizes that they're digging trump's grave and they're trying to sidestep all that so there was you know there was a bit going on a bit of back and forth that was fun um so yeah this was serviceable this was fun this was a good way to get into the show but uh not spectacular in my opinion that's fair. Yeah, I, I think it it really uh it, it's Kyle's sketch to steal. Sure. Because stuff like if you lie, pants are fire, <laughs> if you are truth, pants are goof. Right. Uh it's just, yeah, beautiful, beautiful nonsense. That was a charming moment. I'll I'll definitely give you that. Uh why don't we jump into the monologue? John Mullaney lives in New York. This is the expected bit of fresh stand-up from John Mullaney. How'd we feel it uh kicked off the show? What'd you think, Eddie? Hmm. It wasn't bad, but this begins a very New York centric episode. Mm-hmm. So some things didn't work for me, like the subway stuff. Like I, I understand it, but uh, you know, as not, not as a New Yorker, I, I guess it just didn't really hit home for me. Okay. But uh, the walking the dog and stroller bit and meeting uh, Woody <laughs> Allen and Sunyi was. Uh, Quite possibly the best sure. of the monologue. Yep. What do you think, Steve? Well, uh, having a, a gay cat that's currently on its deathbed, I found this uh, <laughs> monologue to be a little sure. bit insensitive to people in my position. <laughs> okay. But uh, let's get over that. While to while, this was a pretty good monologue. I do love John Mulaney's material. You're not going to be too surprised uh, the general delivery and demeanor of the guy. Mm-hmm. He does have a formula. That is uh, his signature, more or less. Right. But it never ceases to not land. And uh, that's just a testament to his uh, pro status in the industry. A lot of really great jokes here. Stuff that's just so Mulaney. You know, (laughs) uh, a pitcher of the month, April. Sure. uh, Is is great stuff. And, uh, you know, maybe it's not his best material we've ever heard from him. But uh, I was definitely enjoying it for what it was. Yeah, I was enjoying it too. Uh, I thought it was super competent. I, I thought that there wasn't a, a joke that went south. Like there was nothing where the od- he lost the audience or anything like that. He's, you know, he's a pro and everything that he was delivering was was landing and working, at least in the house. I, I thought it was all pretty funny stuff. I'm not a New Yorker, but I, I feel like I've been in the subway there enough to uh, be able to relate to what he was getting at there near the end. It was very capable, easy to digest 
Mulaney comedy. And he's always got a, you know, a handful of self-deprecating remarks that he'll kind of sprinkle in throughout it just to, uh, you know, make it a little more charming. And I just, I thought it was a really fun way to kick off the show. And, you know, I was grinning, getting into the live material. So this was working. I was having fun. I'm enjoying the energy of the show. Um, our month in review guys, Mario and Mike, they were breaking down how if a show builds good energy at the beginning and just continues to keep you invested as you move through the show, you get more and more forgiving of the sketches in the back where maybe they're not perfect, but you're already jazzed, you know, they've won you over so you can keep going with it. And I, uh, I felt like that was just a, a really great way of summing up how I like to watch SNL. Mm. So in line with what Mario was talking about and kind of in line with how I like to take an SNL episode, at this point, getting into the live material, my living room, it's hot room. It's hot room. I'll take whatever they're going to throw at us. <laughs> so, hot crowd. <laughs> I'm going to probably lack a little bit of objectivity getting into the live material. So, I really want to know from you guys if this opening live sketch is as brilliant as I felt it was. So, let's talk about game show. What's that name? Where we get a cameo from Bill Hader as host Fizz Blake. Um, let's start with you, Steve. What did you make of this one? Was this working? Oh boy, it was. And not for any of the obvious reasons. We obviously love Bill Hader in any game show host capacity. Uh, he claimed that niche on the show with a vengeance. Mm-hmm. So it's uh, definitely a welcomed scenario. I just love the fact that this whole malicious excuse for a game show <laughs> derailed and revealed its true colors towards the end. Right. He just wants to bring chaos. <laughs> wants to bring chaos. And I loved it. I loved how it just deconstructed itself down to where they're not even asking about names anymore. Yeah. Just like shots of, of questions they already know the answers yeah. to because they've already <laughs> judged these people for the people they are. Uh, boy, was this ever shockingly <laughs> a good time. What do you think, Andy? Uh, well, this is the first time that we take uh, our first step into the time machine back to uh, 2008, mm-hmm. uh, seemingly, because <laughs> we have done this uh, What's That Name sketch before. Uh, we did it with Justin Timberlake, and the one uh, I remember most is uh, with Paul Rudd and constantly bringing out uh, Keenan as his doorman, mm-hmm. and it's Norman the doorman. Yeah. Who is this guy? <laughs> so, yeah, I thought it was interesting to see this right up top and bill in the lead role. Right. Um, listen, we all love bill Hader here, obviously a top five, at least top 10, uh, cast member. Sure. Uh, always brilliant playing psychotic game show hosts. <laughs> so in theory, I'm the kind of person that, you know, first big sketch of the night. And, and we've already got our cameo coming back to, anchor it mm-hmm. uh other weeks i wouldn't be into it but this was so brilliant <laughs> and sort of just gives more more flavor to the snl extended universe uh with you know bill's psychotic game show host so sure. we finally break him down and it's like <laughs> why do you do this it's like, in a word chaos and it's like ah there there it is yeah. we've got the continuing story of of uh, bill Hader's. Uh, game show hosts and uh, just a lot of great lines. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Everything landed. Uh, they went to a few fun, different places with it. Like at the end where they flip it back on the host and he's like, bring that camera in here. And he's like ready to just kind of like own him, uh, you know? And, and so when it goes off the rails and it just becomes this really vicious back and forth, uh, that's, that's delightful. That that's wonderful. I was very happy to see it. Um, why don't we take a look at our first pre-tape here? We get a commercial for the toilet death ejector, which is exactly what it sounds like. Mm. Andy, uh, set the scene. What's working here. So, uh, well, as I said, uh, with the, what's that name, this, this episode feels like it's, it's stepping back into a time warp to about 2009 because that's where this sketch came from. Uh, Mulaney, this was a thing he was trying to get on the show mm-hmm. back in 2009. Uh, he wrote it with Simon Rich and Marika Sawyer, uh, who also uh, wrote the What's That Name sketches with him. So this is like a whole block of sure. like Mulaney, uh, Simon Sawyer sketches. And th- I, it very much feels like the kind of pre-tapes they were doing back in that time. And 
This was okay. I'm not sure this was one that I personally would have fought for. Hmm. Like, I have a 10-year-old sketch, and, like, I have to get this one on air. Uh, because beyond the image of hurling dead old people off a toilet <laughs> into walls, uh, <laughs> there wasn't that terribly much else for me. But isn't that enough? <laughs> that image was great. But it is only, like, five seconds of the sketch. Sure. Where it's like, we, with it, you know, like, accuracy may vary as they're just sending dummies into the wall. Right, it's right. like, okay, that's good. That's good. What do you think, Steve? Okay. We can talk about the funny images, which are uh, a big part of it. And I was laughing at that. But think of all the questions this, this elicits. You know, what if they're wrong about feeling like they're about to die? <laughs> they I mean, they got to make this call before they actually <laughs> kick the bucket, right? And we see what happens. These people will die in the impact. <laughs> so... These people got to basically make an educated guess that they are on their last limbs and basically hurl themselves into certain death. <laughs> Not even for a, a convincing cover-up, as was yes. revealed in the end. They'll right. still have their pants around their ankles, and there will probably be a mess made. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, you know, this was all just hilarious, and it reminds me of Tim and Eric's uh, Cinco products mm. from Awesome Show. Uh, basically, something that you know, under any amount of scrutiny right. would have no useful purpose and has no business even existing. <laughs> so to start from that as your comedy base, like this is some, some good, uh, ostensibly simple, but deep comedy. Yeah. Uh, I thought it was pretty, pretty sharp too. Uh, my note was the same as yours that you can't think about this at all because the, theory of what this thing's supposed to do breaks down immediately. And what I really <laughs> love is that at the end, just casually in conversation, the old people reveal that, yeah, this thing doesn't work in practice because you've got an old person, you know, with crap sprayed all over and their pants are down and there's just, you know, there, there's no way that you're going to sell that as more dignified than just dying on the toilet, like a regular old person. So the, the fact that they reveal that, yes, this is, this is garbage. This, <laughs> this, this is not a winning product, but they're still doing that infomercial shtick of showing you the ideal scenario first, like, you know, uh, plus, you know, we'll drop a Bible from the ceiling so that your um, next to kin will feel like you went out with dignity doing something, right. you know, respectable. They, they, they paint the perfect picture of how it's supposed to work. And then the commercial turns in on itself and begins <laughs> to show you the footage of, <laughs> of the uh you know geriatrics getting tossed into furniture and the the head of the bed and the wall and all that uh i thought this was great uh maybe like i said the theory of the hot room maybe i was just being more generous than i should have but i i thought that this was a lot of fun i enjoyed it thoroughly oh my god well and kyle just picking up the book and it's like she was so wise <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> exactly yeah the the idealized version of how this product's supposed to perform uh yeah yeah a lot a lot of fun Let's talk about our next live sketch, Shark Tank Legal Edition, where celebrities make their case to see if any of the sharks will represent them. Okay, Andy, uh, what do you make of this? This is, I think, the first stumble of the show. Uh, this didn't really do too much for me. Mm -hmm. <sighs> I don't know. This this one didn't work for me. I don't watch the show. Um, so beyond like Rudy Giuliani and uh, Cecily's character, that you know, I guess she's been doing that. Janine Pirro lately, so I was like, okay, I recognize that. Right. Uh, just basically, I didn't really like the Salino and Barnes jingle attorneys either. <laughs> I, I think that really kind of broke the flow of the sketch. Sure. So I'm I'm just gonna st step back. I, I didn't. I don't know. I don't have much to say about this one. All right. So Steve, was there anything here that you were latching onto that you thought had some merit? Well, if I could talk about the Salino and Barnes thing, <laughs> uh, it's sheer recognizability. Right that makes that funny to me. And I sh probably should know what that is, but uh, I guess I have Buffalo to thank for that. Mm -hmm. Is this another specific New York joke? No, 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 no. There's, there's like uh, sort of the ambulance chaser attorneys that do local or regional ads like that. That's everywhere. Yeah. But Salino and Burns is a real, is a real firm. Oh no, no. I don't think it's a real firm. Is it? It is. Is it really? And that, that is actually the jingle. Oh, okay. So I'm the one out of the loop because I think that they're just playing up no, the so type of ads. Okay. So are you certain about that, Steve? 
Look it up right now. Now they the one thing they change is that they do not sing along to the jingle while they right. s- stand there and smile. But that was a funny little touch. <laughs> okay. All right. So that was a, a little bit of an in-joke if you're in the New York region where you'd be able to pick up on that exact firm. And the jingle like was the jingle actually musically the same Selena as what they used? and Bert. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. Wow. They changed right. the lyrics, of course. <laughs> That's so bizarre because they just ended the Don Cheadle episode with a very specific right. reference to the uh, the the wedding hall uh, commercial. So it's a little <laughs> bit of an indulgence for anyone that's in on the joke. If you're not in on the joke, I appreciate it because I I at least got the type of lawyer that they're skewering there. So I thought right. that that was an amusing little thing to throw in. I don't think it was enough to maybe save the sketch. I think I'm siding with Andy that it didn't really go anywhere. There wasn't a whole lot that I was roused by with this so at the end of it i was just feeling kind of mad so steve why don't you just kind of bookend where you were going before we got off on that tangent um (laughs) is this a win i did have fun with it but i would not say this broke ground or elevated the show so we should best move on yeah let's keep moving here after that we get another pre-tape the unknown caller chad is back and too oblivious to be menaced by a scream style serial killer uh okay andy I'm sure that you are up on where the inspiration from this was drawn. Um, was this working? Well, just when I, I thought <laughs> I was out, they, they pulled me back in because this, this is probably the best Chad sketch we've had. Ooh, maybe since the first, okay. uh, I don't know. I, I, I like this take on the character to put him in a horror film, to have him be in this sort of scream slash Saw-esque, uh, mm. you know, terrorized by a person on the phone who's going to drag him through some sort of cat and mouse game of. Yeah. Do you want to play a game? It's yeah. like, nope. Hangs up the <laughs> <Yeah>. phone. <laughs> no, thank you. <laughs> it's like, what's your biggest fear? Dick falls off. <laughs> like, Chad, come on. He's not giving him anything to work with. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I think the last couple times we've done Chad, it's it seemed kind of like there was nowhere to go with it. Like Mm -hmm. we had already kind of hit the plateau of what to do with the Chad sketches. Uh, But this one really worked for me. And I liked the, the, the gory effects, Uh, Mikey days, pizza guy showing up. He's got a little bit of guts spilling out and John Mulaney finally, you know, hoisted on his own batard of, you know, slipping and stabbing himself with his own knife. So some nice little gory details uh, to, to get the horror effect in there. Uh, was all appreciated and uh yeah i enjoyed it okay steve what'd you think i also enjoyed it mm-hmm. what i love about the whole chad character the whole chad situation uh this guy really does not have much of a clue what's going on around him mm-hmm. and whether it's through sheer luck or just divine intervention <laughs> he seems to obliviously come out unscathed out of right. any situation and uh there's no uh, explanation for that. It's uh, <laughs> part of the joke yeah, right. that this guy can get away with anything. And it really does turn these uh, uh, cinematic tropes on their head very well. Right. And uh, once again, they've breathed new life into something that I'd never thought would have this much life. Yep. Yeah. So once again, I'm saying wow to Chad. <laughs> Maybe I'll do it again. Who knows? Sure. Agreed. Uh, on all points. This was charming. It was surprising how well the scenario worked that they threw Chad into. And it's one of the better ones we've seen. Uh, they tried doing Chad in cinematic tropes with uh, Narnia. Oh, yeah. No, that one was good, too. Yeah. So they have dabbled in this, but this yeah. one was much sharper. And the dialogue yeah. was uh, a lot more true to the genre that they were aping. So yeah. uh, it just, yeah, it felt very competent and it felt like a very inspired way to bring Chad back. And I'm, I'm glad they found it. Yeah. Now yeah. let's move on. We get another live sketch. Daniel Wiseman is unexpectedly awesome at his girlfriend's cousin's wedding. Uh, Steve, what'd you make of this? Um, I tried to focus on the positives of it just to enjoy it in the moment. Okay. That's where I was at with this one. Hmm. Interesting. You know, the, the nerdy straight laced white guy unexpectedly, you know, getting along with the more urban crowd. We can't say that's a new idea or that's a well that has never been drawn from. Sure. Uh, for comedy, the whole dance going on throughout it, 
Yeah, and through that reveal, slowly showing him being more in tune with uh, with their culture than she might think. Mm-hmm. Sure, it was fun to be had with it. Okay, but uh, it didn't feel like the most inspired piece. All right, what do you think, Andy? Huh. Well, I'm going to go uh, complete 180 on that because I think this might be my favorite of the night. All right. <laughs> and to bounce off of what Steve was saying is I, I think this I, I liked that this didn't fall into the trap of what I thought mm. kind of what you were laying out of like, oh, you know, goofy white guy at the black wedding. But, oh, he get, you know, I don't I don't think it really fell into that trap. And I liked that it was surprisingly low key even though we're all dancing we're doing the cha-cha slide and just the details of of throwing out the you know non-canonical cha-cha slide uh commands like stir them grits roll them dice uh grab your church fan do the beyonce one and two and just you know just folding into it uh you know just so perfectly as as they're having this conversation and, uh, yeah, there's a lot of great details, uh, him talking to like Leslie, I think it was, her name was like Androgina and he's like, how's the foot? She's like, I'm soaking it in the juice. And he's like, I'll pray on it. <laughs> and, uh, so I don't know. There's a lot of, the thing with, with Mulaney is like, especially, you know, since we have these two episodes to really kind of get a viewpoint of, of what John Mulaney wants to do with SNL, because he very much makes these episodes his own Mm -hmm. and he likes to give sketches a lot of breathing room and then just sprinkle them with small details. And there's not too many sketches that end with like a big, we're never leading to a big gag. Uh, It's just all the small little jokes on the way. So this is another sketch that kind of just ends, just kind of ends but I loved the ride. Mm-hmm. This was a lot of fun for me. Yeah. Now this was definitely the, the ride that was satisfying. You're right. It wasn't, there was no big reveal. There was no big turn or anything like that. You just get a really competently unfolded picture of really what this guy's strengths are that you don't think he's going to have going into it. You think it's sort of a meet the parents scenario where he's just not going to be able to do any right. And everything that he says is going to be a duck out of water kind of a, a thing. And no, he's, he's right there with everyone. Uh, like, like you said, he's got the dance moves. He's got the lingo. He's, he's able to charm the grandma and you know, everyone that stops by, he's got history with, uh, that's, that's great. That's quirky. That's fun. I was really, really charmed by this. And I, I just wanted to offer props to everyone's flawless execution of the dance timing and Keenan being right there with the like instructional cues from the DJ mm-hmm. station, um, that back and forth is not easy. It's, it, it's a, it's a live situation. One person stumbles on a cue card just once and everyone's going to be thrown off. Mm. This could have been a really messy sketch with a, a whole lot of just kind of like awkward breaking from, Oh, this is, we're not holding this together. It's just not going right. We could have mm-hmm. seen little hints of that throughout it. We didn't get any of it. It just was super well executed. And I, I just, I love it when I see it. That's, Hard to pull off. Definitely on yeah. live TV. It's hard to pull off. So yeah, this was a big win for me. I thought this was great. And again, uh, the show had won me over. So I w- wasn't sure if there was anything brilliant here, if I was just having fun, but I really think that this was another good one with, with better writing than maybe you would think, uh, at the outset. Yeah. So take that, Steve. <laughs> just, just cut me out of this portion entirely. <laughs> All right. Let's uh, get off that. Let's take a look at our musical performances. Thomas Rhett performs. Look what God gave her. And then for his second number, don't threaten me with a good time. Andy, you like music. Do you like Thomas Rhett? <laughs> Do you like this music? <laughs> I plead the fifth. Okay. <laughs> All right. He's punting. Steve, what do you got? Uh, well, what's his name again? The memorable Thomas Rhett. <laughs> yeah. Right. The memorable Thomas Rhett. Uh, I'm sorry, Thomas. I'm sure you're a nice guy. But whatever they did to you before they put you up on stage, mm. you come off disingenuous with your uh, fur-collared uh, spring jacket and your, whoops, didn't mean to, ripped jeans. Yeah, hobo chic. Yeah, your whole demeanor, your whole disposition is, it seems, manufactured, produced. <laughs> the entire time that I watched Thomas Rep perform, I wanted him to get off stage and let the, the band just jam. <laughs> Uh, he had a great band behind him, but uh, 
All in service of nothing. This was just some kind of uh, gateway country. Like, this was the marijuana to the hard drugs of country music. Because, like, it was almost like he was embarrassed to be country because he mm. hit it so much. <laughs> and uh, that's my little rant. All right, so high marks from Steve. Now, Andy, I know you have thoughts on this. I'm going to draw. I wouldn't be a good host if I didn't draw them up. Uh, I mean, so yeah, country in the biggest italics <laughs> yes. that you can possibly muster. Uh, this is just pop music, to be honest, and really bad pop music. <laughs> I, and the thing is, like, I was almost, I'd never heard of this guy. And I, I actually thought that SNL has actually had a pretty good run of booking interesting country artists lately, mm-hmm. like Sturgill Simpson and Casey Musgraves. Mm-hmm. And yeah, this was, oh boy, I felt embarrassed for myself, <laughs> for him, for the audience, for the all the people watching. It just, man, it did not do it for me both times Mm -hmm. it just felt so cheeseball (laughs) and like you said so like just grossly manufactured yeah it was just cringeworthy to be honest all right yeah about 15 seconds into the first musical number i got a big nope from my wife (laughs) and she just she just yeah she booked it she's like i i'm not i'm nope nope there's nothing here i'm gonna watch and she went and like did the dishes or something that's about how engaging his first number was and i was having all the same feelings as you guys and then as the second number started i was going into it thinking okay this guy's a joke you know there's there's nothing there's nothing of substance here and as the second number started to unfold i was you know it was tapping my feet a little bit. I was, I was enjoying the, the music of it as, as much as there, there's, you know, nothing terribly, uh, adventurous or, you know, exciting or challenging about it. Uh, it, it certainly was a, a catchy ditty. And so I'm, I'm thinking to myself, wait a minute, is this the worst thing that I've ever heard in my life? Or is this the best thing? And I'm just like too cynical and jaded to just let myself have a good time with it. And so I said, you know what? I'm just going to sit back and I'm going to enjoy a catchy song and what he's doing up there. And then he made the cardinal sin of standing over the professional studio guitarist that he brought on tour with him to pull off the solo. He stood over his shoulder and he wretchedly air guitared with him. And I went, Nope. (laughs) (laughs) I'm surprised you were even slightly on board. I tried so hard, Thomas. I, 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 I just really, really wanted to have something nice to say about it. And Mm. I just, I can't, I'm sorry. Uh, everyone on stage with you, I have nothing but respect for, for taking the job. (laughs) And, uh, yeah, I just, I, I can't do it. I just, I just couldn't embrace it. So I'm sorry, Thomas. Uh, thank you next. Hey gang. I wanted to jump out of the cast for just a moment to mention that our show is made possible solely by the support of listeners like you. And we're looking for only 85 more of our most awesome listeners to come on board as patrons by the end of season 44. If you happen to be one of said awesome listeners, then please head over to patreon.com. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com forward slash SNL podcast. Show us some love. And don't forget, our patrons get an exclusive members-only podcast feed that provides early access to extended cuts of each new episode that contain upwards of 20 minutes of additional discussion. If you're liking our show and you'd like to hear more of it, and if you'd like us to stick around for season 45, then please head over to patreon.com forward slash SNL podcast and help us out. And before we jump back into the cast, I want to give a shout out to Gregory Clark from London, England, who just came on board as one of our awesome staff writer patrons. Greg, thank you so much for your support. And now. Back to the show. Take a look at Weekend Update. For their lead-in, Jost and Che discuss Michael Cohen's testimony before the Congressional Oversight Committee. Andy, uh, what did you make of this week's opening salvo? Uh, It was all right. Jost's jokes didn't really work for me, uh, but Michael's (laughs) damsel in distress run (laughs) right after that uh, was bracing. Sure. And just... I know a lot of people don't like Michael Che uh, for many reasons, and I just appreciate him because he's the one last 
element of danger that the show still has right now. You sure. just never know exactly where Michael is going to go. He's always going to take this bizarre devil's advocate take on it that is usually a pretty unique take, and he gets there. Mm-hmm. And so I thought I thought it was all right. It's a very short weekend update uh, because of all the long sketches we have. Right. So not too many to write home about. And I, I did enjoy the the sort of mega edit of Donald Trump's speech mm-hmm. at the uh, CPAC thing it was basically better than any joke they could sure. have told, to be honest. Yep. Yeah, there's something uh, genuinely perplexing about watching the leader of the free world sort of dry hump a flag. You know, just like, oh, like there's, there's no need to build a joke around that. Just, yeah, show us the yeah. clip. Uh, Steve, yep. what do you got? Yeah, that's what stuck with me more so is once they got past the Cohen testimony and got into the Trump-Kim stuff. Mm-hmm. And this is probably not what should be sticking out the most, but that montage they made of every ridiculous thing he said during that rally uh, where he hugged that flag. <laughs> that was just jaw-dropping. And to see it condensed that way, I thought it was a, a brilliant display. Mm-hmm. And uh, other than that, you know, this was a, a rather short weekend update uh, this time around. Once again, some very astute observational stuff. Uh, I don't even know what it is I'm 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 seeing there, but I agree that Michael Cohen does look like he shaves in his car. <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> and that will be a mystery until I die, but I somehow agree on some subconscious level. I liked that joke. Fair enough, enough. Fair enough. It was a good joke. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, it was short, but sweet. And uh, while not the best. Michael Che and Colin Jost are often just consistently at a uh, an acceptable level. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, my note was uh, quick and competent. The uh, Don Cheadle episode had a weekend update with a really bizarre energy. It just seemed like they couldn't keep the audience with them for a lot of the material. And uh, yeah, they just seemed off their rhythm a bit. So even though this came and went pretty darn quick, I felt like this was a recovery. So, uh, I appreciate that. And the jokes, you know, the jokes were solid. And like you said, Che had some really good moments. Um, yeah, not much else to say, but we can take a look at our only feature for the night. Kate and 80 as Veneta and Wileen Starkey to announce that smokery farms will only serve meat from animals that are individually stupid and bad. <laughs> How is that for a weekend update feature setup? Andy, <laughs> what do you got? Oh man. So this was this was something. <laughs> Breaking on the show is a very specific thing to get right. And usually I don't like it. And when it works for me is that I feel like I'm in on the joke. Mm-hmm. Like somebody's laughing at a particular line read or something went wrong or or it's just something I I also picked up sure. on and I'm also laughing at. So this kind of the breaking didn't help this for me. Uh, okay. There were some funny jokes in there that I felt got kind of trampled on because mm-hmm. they were laughing and not hitting the proper pace of the joke and the punchline. And just I, I don't know. I, I I can't smell the meat, so sure. I don't know if it smells bad. And stuff like asking Colin if he's a big meat boy. <laughs> should have landed harder <laughs> or taking a survey of a hundred chickens, you know, to see which one it, it can, re- if they can recognize each other themselves in the mirror. And we, we took the one that couldn't, uh, there were some good lines in there, but I, I just, I, I know that <laughs> people out there liked this one because of the breaking. And for me, it, it kind of took away from it. I, I felt the writing was pretty strong and they kind of trampled over a little bit. Okay. What do you got, Steve? Yeah. See, this probably got a bunch of laughs from the breaking, and uh, that's worth talking about. Like, I don't know. If I wrote that, I might have felt a bit disrespected because I feel like they started to deliver some of their lines in an ironic way. Right. Yeah. Uh, Just as a wink and a nod to the fact that, hey, this smells bad, and we're trying to get through this. Almost to the point where it started to lack professionalism to me. Hmm. Yeah. So that was a bit of a problem. And played straight, there was enough here that this could have been good. I did like the idea of animals that were unethical, therefore it's ethical to eat them. That's <laughs> that's a funny thing to explore, but I guess we'll never see how this would truly play out if they 
maybe just were a little bit more stoic when they were doing their jobs. Okay. My read on it was if I'm supposed to get through a sketch and I get a curve in the moment, right? I'm on live TV. This is do or die. You know, there's no walking away from the sketch. So if someone throws me a curve that just totally pulls me out of it, you know, something about the reveal of the meat has given us the giggles and things are falling apart. I feel like if you can riff on that and you can find some new jokes, if you can take that and run with it and get people on your side and keep the laughs coming wherever they come from, I got to applaud the professionalism of the players that they could find the laughs. They could have fun with it. Uh, Joe's had some back and forth with them and confirmed. Yeah, it really does kind of stink. Like, uh, understand what's going on here. Audience. We we're kind of calling an audible on some of this. Like, I feel like everybody had to be willing to embrace that and get a few little jokes in about that issue for the piece to unfold. Cause there just wasn't any way around it once they kind of lost it at the beginning. So yeah, if you have a weekend update, feature that gets a little silly I'll, I'll, I'll come along for that i was i was fine with it okay fine <laughs> okay agree to disagree <laughs> <laughs> um now there's nothing else really to talk about with weekend update because like you mentioned we're running a little long at this point and they jump into the back half of the show so we get a live sketch a bodega patron is drawn into an epic musical journey of self-discovery um there's a little bit of familiarity here Andy, break it down. What is this? Well, obviously, it's a sequel to Diner Lobster. Right. So this is this is going to be tricky. This is going to be the trickiest <laughs> sketch to talk about all night. Because I know people love Diner Lobster, and I know people like Bodega Bathroom. And the thing for me with Diner Lobster, why I enjoyed it the first time, was I just didn't see it coming. Mm-hmm. I had no clue where it was going, and I didn't even have a clue that it was a riff on Les Mis. I'm I'm just not really a musical guy. So that was lost on me the first time. I just enjoyed the absurdity of this idea. And then you wheel Keenan out as a giant (laughs) lobster. And that's good enough for me. Like just the absurdity of it all. So when this began and it was Chris and Pete Mm. and they go up to, to John, I was like, Oh boy. And it's right after weekend update. It's the same place that diner lobster was. Mm -hmm. And I was like, don't do this guys. We don't have to do this. And, and we did it. And, oh man, I don't know what to say because I'm coming from like both ends. Like it feels somehow very lazy in a specifically SNL way, but also this sketch is incredibly impressive. (laughs) They go above and beyond what they did with diner lobster to the point where you got flying toilets and stuff. And there was a lot of good jokes mixed in there, but it's, it's very wandering. We get a lot of different riffs on various musicals this time. It's, it's no longer contained to just Les Mis. It's now it's like Willy Wonka and cats and little shop of horrors. And probably I think rent Mm -hmm. as well, but Stuff like the bodega man can because he mixes lots of pills and he calls them tiger sex pills had me dying. <laughs> so I, I I don't know. I, I still don't. I've watched this twice and I still don't know quite how I feel about it. All right. Uh, Steve, can you say one way or another whether this is a win or a lose? I can call it a win out of pure spectacle. Mm hmm. Not quite as focused when it comes to the source material uh, for uh, for parody. That could be one criticism. But uh, I was able to overlook that and enjoy it for what it was. Sure. Yeah. I'm not too far off on that. My feeling was there's absolutely no way that if you are going to revisit Diner Lobster that you're ever going to get the same impact of uh, just bewildering your audience like what are we watching right now like yeah, what right. why oh we're going bigger okay they're bringing out the barricade okay you know we're crescendoing we're okay we're gonna go kill a baby lamb like that was a real <laughs> ride and you're never gonna get the same returns on it if you come back to that same you know basic structure and and try and fulfill the the fan service <laughs> that was expected um there's no way to get the same win as diner lobster so i just take that right off the table and say if i was just looking at this as a sketch on its own and diner lobster didn't exist 
is this a good sketch? And it absolutely is. You know, the production value is all there. The performance is all there. The just digging deep on musical theater references is all there. And there's a little bit of a through line with the, the Willy Wonka callback of, you know, you've proven yourself pure of heart. And there's, if, if they were going to take a second run at diner lobster, I couldn't see how they could have tried harder (laughs) to, to recapture the magic. That's true. It's an impossible task, but they threw themselves headlong into it. And I respect that. And I respect the execution of it. It was fun, but it's never going to be Diner Lobster. Uh, so marginal win for me, just cause you know, it's not what they want to be had fun with it anyways. Yeah. <laughs> Let's talk about PBS's cinema classics. Look at Lauren Bacall's inept 1944 film debut. Uh, Steve, let's start with you. Uh, you've got a little bit of film theory in your background. Where's the brilliance in this? Well, there's definitely the, uh, the little subtleties to it uh, that come from the the old timey era. Mm-hmm. But let's get into the real meat of this. It is uh, Kate's performance, just an absolute crash and burn train wreck that uh, was ever so fun to watch. And uh, in the hands of a lesser performer, this material would fall flat. This is really on whoever is expected to breathe life into it. And, and Kate hit all the notes she needed to. Okay. Andy, bring the salt. <laughs> I did not like this. Um, <laughs> it, I, I've, I've enjoyed the previous incarnations of this. I always enjoy Keenan as Reese. De what? <laughs> I, I really, I mean, we're running real long at this point of the episode and I, I know they had written more stuff for Keenan, which uh, I'm sad got most likely thrown out. Right. And, this did not work for me. Sometimes in, I enjoy goofy mugging for the camera and just chewing the scenery as much as you can. But the concept behind this was just so flimsy and it just, I don't know. It wasn't there for me. So I don't know. You did touch on one thing that I think is worth talking about a little bit. The typical PBS cinema classic sketch will cut back to Keenan several times where he can just drop some bizarre little truth that reinvigorates the audience for another go round of another clip of what they're assessing. And I think you're right that this probably got hacked up and they said, look, we can't keep cutting back to Keenan. Why don't we just let Kate reopen the door? Like just keep coming back in without, you know, any cuts to, to Keenan. And I think that hurt it in a way because it just, I don't know, it doesn't, doesn't play as well as having Keenan sort of preface it and prime the audience for another round of stupidity. It just seems like Mm -hmm. maybe it's coming a little bit too rapid fire. Yeah. Because I mean, usually it feels like multiple takes. Yeah. Let's peek in on another moment where blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Yeah. It kind of breaks the reality of that. Yeah. So I think they edited this one all to hell. I think that the premise was fun enough. I like the idea that uh, the actor just not being able to, to get there with the performance and mm. it getting worse every time they take another run at it. I like that in concept, but there was something that just wasn't firing here. I think it was probably in the editing, but it could have just been that that idea didn't have enough legs to sustain all of what they put Kate through with it. So somewhere along the line, this wasn't working. Uh, I applaud the effort back half material. I'm going to call this one a marginal loss personally. Fair enough. Cool. That is the rundown. Let's talk moment of the night. What do you got, Andy? Hmm. Kyle Mooney in the cold open. Okay. (laughs) That might come as a bit of a surprise, but I think that was my biggest laugh uh, of the entire night. And I'm just a sucker for nonsense and malpropisms. So that was (laughs) completely in my wheelhouse. And I think Kyle just killed it. Okay. What do you got, Steve? My moment of the night is going to be uh, uh, when Kate just goes ahead and hocks a big old loogie on uh, the stage of 8H. Her second attempt at whistling mm, yes. was a pretty good visual gag and gave me a, uh, you know, a, a good shock laugh. Okay. Hmm. For me, what's that name? There was a moment in there where Bill Hader as the host is laying a trap for John Mulaney. And, you know, he asks him, you know, what would you say to these girls? <laughs> and it doesn't matter what John Mulaney's going to say. It's going to be the wrong answer because Bill Hader's a sadist. And so Mulaney then tries to turn it around on him and say, well, what would you have said? And he says, I wouldn't have said anything at all. 
I would have listened, you know, like <laughs> just the, the, the grossest, snarkiest, most arrogant, uh, way to flip that around and put the contestant back in his place. It was just such a, yeah, just such a devious little moment. And Bill Hader played it so well. And I just, I just really liked the back and forth there, uh, that they had going in the middle of that sketch. And I think that was kind of like the high watermark for me. So yeah. that'll take it for me. Camera three, pull in. Yes, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He just knows exactly how to milk his show for maximum effect. Yeah. Yeah. Good stuff. Yeah. Best sketch. Let's start with you this time, Steve. I'm giving it to what's that name? Okay. Uh, just, uh, by slim merch and comes up over bodega bathroom for me. Okay. It was, uh, just really funny and did not go right along with my expectations. So I had uh, a lot of fun with this that I did not expect to have. Okay. What do you got, Andy? going to go with the, the wedding cha-cha slide. Mm-hmm. Uh, speaking of things that, that did not play out to uh, my expectations. Sure. Uh, yeah. That, that one just kind of had a vibe that I really liked. Mm-hmm. Uh, just really low key. Uh, but always had this constant energy because of the dance that they're doing and just a lot of good lines sprinkled in there. And it just didn't go the usual way a sketch like that would go. So going to give it the high marks for that one. Yeah, that's all fair. Um, I'm right there with both of you. Those are my top two for the night. And I think I'm going to side on what's that name just because I feel like the the dialogue that they wrote for that just had a lot of sharpness to it and and I I think that they performed it very well. I really really enjoyed the the wedding one as well for the same kind of reasons too and it was kind of surprising in how it unfolded. So they were both right up there. But yeah, I think I think the game show edged it out just a little bit and maybe the the heights of of the humor that I got out of it. So uh yeah, no no bad choice there. MVP. What do you got, Andy? Uh, I mean, it's obviously Bill Hader, isn't it? <laughs> Not much of the cast honestly got much to do. Uh, there's a lot. I mean, Cecily got some decent screen time, but everybody else kind of had small speaking roles. And I guess Ego did have the the Chacha line sketch, but mm-hmm. yeah, it, it didn't really feel much like an episode from the season because it felt like a lot of the cast was kind of absent. So I'll give it to Bill because I love Bill, and he really helped. Give some energy right off the bat with the cold open Mm -hmm. and then just the continuation of his always brilliant psychotic game (laughs) show hosts. Sure. Steve MVP. It's John Mulaney. He's going to be the host. That's probably always going to get it when he does host the fact that he has history with the show as a writer means he can effectively tailor the show to be a showcase for himself. He just steals the show and uh he just killed it with whatever he was uh was doing this night okay i wanted to give it to pete davidson just because it seems like he continues to be on an upswing and seems to be pretty well featured throughout the show uh doing better work than we've seen from him i think in past seasons that's my take on kind of where his trajectory has been in the new year at least but I'm not going to do that because I don't think you can really make that argument when john mulaney <laughs> you know uh has such a an obvious pace that he sets with the show. Uh, he drives all the sketches that he's in. He, uh, just does excellent work. And then we all know that behind the scenes, you know, he's bringing a little bit more flavor to it. These are his show when he comes, um, there's no handholding. There's, there's nothing that doesn't feel confident about it. And you just have to lay that all at his feet. And his monologue was great to boot. So he did everything right. Everything he was supposed to do and, uh, handled it all with plum and turned in some really, you know, fun material. Uh, gotta go with him. You gotta. Yeah. Fair enough. On a scale of classic, great, decent, weak, or train wreck, how would you rate this episode, Andy? Uh, can I go decent plus? No. <laughs> <laughs> this, ah, uh, man, it falls so squarely <laughs> in between decent and great that I can't quite figure out. I'd like... I mean, on our show, we use a numbering scale. So, like, if I'm going to go that way, I'd give it a three out of five, mm-hmm. which, yeah, just feels like decent plus or great minus. Uh, All right. We, <sighs> we, we've entered that into the record. <laughs> 
So you're you're falling on the side of decent or you're falling on the side of great, just the bottom line. I can't tell. That's the thing is like even the stuff like, you know, that didn't quite win me over, like Bodega Bathroom, where it's like, ugh, I mean, but it's still impressive. Sure. So it's I think my laughs might give it a decent rating. Right. But what they pulled off was on a greater scale. Mm. So well, here's how we settle this. You say you give it a three, right, Andy? Mm-hmm. So either our tr- train wreck rating is a zero or a one. Mm-hmm. And if it's a one, then this is a decent. If we consider train wreck to be a zero on our scale, then you just put it as a great. No, 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 no. See, see, that's, that is, that is the <laughs> worst and most inaccurate <laughs> way of explaining our scale. So train wreck, is it zero or is it one? A train wreck is a one because at least they showed up for work. <laughs> okay. A week is a two because it's just shy of the halfway mark. A decent is a three because it's just north of the halfway mark. A great is four because it's elevated. It's, it's, it's getting way far away from middle ground territory. And then classic is five. So we have a scale of five. I and if you say three, then on our scale, that would relate to a decent. All right. Well, then it's, it's, a, it's a decent, yeah. a decent, a decent plus. All right, Steve, what do you make of this one? I'll give it a, a step up and give it uh, a great. Okay. We, uh, we stumbled here and there. Sure. And uh, ran a little long, made it a bit awkward to play out. So there was a couple of things working against it. Yep. Plus, we're all just embarrassed about the musical guest. Sure. <laughs> That certainly did not help things. Yeah. Uh, this is how much I did not care for the musical guest. So that's got to bring it down at least a peg. Okay. I'm giving it a great because I just thought it was a, a wonderful episode for the most part. Sure. All right. Uh, I'm going to land on the side of decent with this one. I really liked it. There was a lot of great moments, but they tried really hard to recreate what Mulaney did last season. And that never feels quite as good. So Mm. this is not a classic episode the same way that I think the first one was on top of that. You have a big technical snafu in the back half where the show just basically falls off my television set, which, you know, that's got to knock it down a peg. And then in the first half, we had the lawyer sketch that for me watered down my enthusiasm a little bit. And then in the back half, we had the PBS classics, which also kind of watered down my enthusiasm a bit. So uh, it was a good ride and we got to some good places with it, but it didn't sustain it as evenly in the great territory or classic territory that I would have liked. So I mm. feel like in the final equation, when you add it all up, I'm in the decent range. Yes. Come to the salty side, John. <laughs> yes. I'm staying over here. But decent ain't bad. Like this is <laughs> no decent. Decent is not bad. Yeah. I would definitely tell friends to tune into this one. This isn't a like, yeah. oh, you guys can skip it. There wasn't anything great on last night. Like I would still want people to check in and see some of the, the really great moments. Sure. Well, that's the thing. It's like, it kind of reminds me of the Don Cheadle episode where like sure. it yeah. has very high highs exactly, and then some very strong misses for me. Yeah. So yeah, that's, that's kind of why it doesn't ever really get out of the decent territory. But I will say, compared to where we were at the end of last year, maybe even into January, I feel like we've had enough good moments peppering these last few episodes that my overall feeling about where the season's at right now is decent. I'm not feeling like it's particularly weak or or there's anything that I, I feel is uh, actually kind of putting me off about the show. Yeah, I'm I'm not as doom and gloom yeah. as I was sort of in the first couple months. It's It, it hasn't been exceptional in any way this season but i feel like we're moving in the right direction and hopefully you know we round out the spring with a few more good ones yeah yeah and uh i think that'll do it for me you guys got anything else you want to say about this episode no i yeah that's it steve you good that's it that's a cast thanks as always to steve finn and to our guest andrew dick you can connect with andy on twitter at that week in snl and thanks as well to our most generous patrons, Sam Bowers, Aaron and Trader, and Kalen Bowman. If you're enjoying our show, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or whichever app you prefer to listen on. Your subscription helps us grow, and your support is greatly appreciated. We'll be back in one week when SNL returns with host Idris Elba and musical guest Khalid. Until then, this has been episode number 71 of the Saturday Night Live After Party Podcast. I'm John Murray. Good night, and have a pleasant tomorrow. 
to Thomas Rhett, Ben Stiller, Bill Hader. All the cast and writers is the great, greatest place in the world. Thank you so much for watching. Good night. <laughs>